0: When the London sky fills with sultry fog, a lovely story awaits you. Good evening, welcome to the Kane and Rince house. Your guide for the night is me, the Midnight Podcaster, Ryan. Have you heard about this scary rumor? They say that if you want to play along with Kane and Rince, don't get too scared. We have Doom and Doom 2 coming up next. Followed by a grand adventure that flies by like a crazy dream, The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening, Ori, and his backup band, The Blind Forest. A highly requested rotation, final fight, and turn down the lights. We've got Doom 3 after that. You can check out CanonRins.com for the full playlist as well as some scrumptious writing, sexy videos by our Darren Gargat, Sorry ladies, he's taken, and links to our most social of media. For all you lovers of fine jams, we have the Sound of Play podcast for your listening pleasure. And don't forget, we have a Patreon. If the mood's just right, why not throw a couple quid our way? Tonight's story is Catherine, an unconventional romantic horror. Now let's meet a man with a curse who's had a terrifying week, Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And our hero in this story, Sean O'Brien. Team Catherine with a K. Their outcomes depend on you, listeners. Sorry to keep you waiting. Raise the curtains. Enjoy the show until we meet again. (laughs) Uh, This was developed by Atlas, uh, the Persona team in particular, the team that was um, behind Persona 3 and 4. It was produced by Katsura Hashino, who developed a lot of the Shin Megami Tensei games, um, particularly Persona 3 and onwards was the one he was most involved in, and had character design by Shigenori Suijima, who is best known for Persona 3 and 4 and um, the Shin Megami Tensei series as far back as 1995 and going forward into the future with the upcoming installments that are on the horizon for now. Catherine was released for the PS3 and Xbox 360, in 2011, in Japan and North America, in 2012, in Europe and Australia, and uh, never came to a PC, and uh, has not gotten any kind of definitive edition treatment on the new consoles, <laughs> although it's, uh, I, I believe it's available for streaming on the PS4
1: yeah, using so.
0: that weird ps3 streaming service which i i don't know anyone who's ever used but (laughs) if uh if you missed out on it and don't have any of the last generation consoles and that is a way to play it potentially Mm. Uh, let's go through our histories with the game josh how'd you end up picking this one up
2: my history with Catherine's a little bit all over the place in that um naturally you know this coming from the persona team and specifically you know the guys who worked on um persona 3 and 4 I was really excited for it, um even you know, knowing so little about it, just that first announcement trailer, I was on board right from the word "'go because it's the persona team how could how could they possibly go wrong after <laughs> you know two of my favorite games of all time um but the more information came out about the game the the less interested I became uh, when I realized mm. that the the actual um, interaction in the game was mainly going to be a series of block puzzles. It made me very sceptical. I was worried that this wasn't going to be an experience that uh, I was going uh, going to enjoy. Mm -hmm. But, you know... the the storytelling in those Persona games was so good that I was thinking, well, even if I don't enjoy the the you know inter- interaction side of it, maybe there's still a good tale to be had, but word of mouth was mixed when the game came out um it mm-hmm. wasn't negative or you know really really positive it was just it was really all over the place in a way um that's rare for games actually like it just it seemed like people either loved it or they hated it and being the kind of person who usually ends up in the middle when it when these discussions happen i decided you know what i'm going to leave it um which which was Funny because at a certain point I was ready to pre-order it from uh, the you know and import it from the US mm-hmm. um, because it took ages to come out over here in Europe uh, as most of Atlas's stuff did, but then um, this uh, you know I I wanted to play it just to have it completed at some point, which is why I kind of put myself down uh, for the podcast just you know just in case um this you know this show got scheduled and and it did and um yeah uh i completed it fairly recently um i had played it before um closer to closer to release when i borrowed it off of somebody but um i gave up towards the beginning of the game uh, but I am glad I've managed to get through it for this podcast.
0: Were you using your PS Plus version of the game to
2: play it? Uh, yes, the the one that okay. came free with uh, yes PS Plus ex- uh, subscription. Cool, cool. And what about you, Sean? At the time,
1: I hadn't played any Persona games um, when Catherine came out, so I had this Catherine just wasn't on my radar at all. Um, pretty much until I don't know when the reviews hit, but when they did. Um, I think it's it's now sitting around like an 80 or 79 or something on Metacritic. And um, so that got me, it piqued my interest a little, just looking at like just brief pictures and, and reading a couple of reviews and um, all the talk about uh, it dealing with more mature themes than most games tend to do. Uh, is really what got me interested. So I told my fiance about it and she was like real psyched about it. She was my girlfriend at the time, which will play into my experience uh, with this game <laughs> as a whole. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so she was really excited to play So we were like, all right, whatever, we'll just go to the store. So on release day, um, we went down and, and just randomly picked one up. They only had like, I think, one copy at GameStop, or no, they must have had, at least had more than one, but there was only one left when mm. I went to pick it up, so I got lucky and uh, picked it up day one on
0: PS3. I wonder if that was because they weren't anticipating selling many, or whether that was because they sold out so quickly.
1: Well, it mm. might be both. I mean, maybe they only ordered, like, you know, five copies, anticipating yeah. they were only going to sell three. <laughs> I don't know how okay. well it did in the end, but...
0: All right. And I, I actually don't remember how I ended up playing my version of it. I do remember that I played it before the PS Plus version came out. It was another one of those where I had um, paid for it while it was on pretty deep sale. So I don't regret picking it up at that point. But mm-hmm. uh, it was not free for me um, like it was for many people. But I played it through, yeah, it must have been years ago now. Um, <sighs> But I've gone back and and watched the cutscenes again at least and did a little kind of refresher with the block puzzles, but I I didn't feel the need to play through all of the block puzzles again for for the podcast. Uh, So at this point, I think it would be good to give a uh, pretty hearty spoiler warning. Um, This game is, I guess, pretty cleanly divided between being a kind of an interesting puzzle block climbing game, which, you know, um, isn't necessarily spoilable and a story that plays out um almost like a like a telltale type adventure Mm. uh, in a way um while you're not playing the block puzzles which is very spoilable and i think that there's some nice twists and turns throughout that and so if that is something that at all interests you then please go and play the game first because we will be talking about the ins and outs of the stories and its various endings So before we get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about the influences on the game. Uh, Leon and I tried to kind of go back and forth and think of (laughs) some influence because, you know, usually I have a pretty good (laughs) sense of this type of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Games that had similar gameplay mechanics beforehand, but something Mm -hmm. about the block climbing in Catherine really made me think like the... The seeds of this type of game probably emerged in the kind of arcade or early PC yeah. era, which is before I really kind of came into my own as a gamer. Um, and it's probably before I was even born, honestly. And so, um, you know, Leon would be the expert on all of that. So, of course, we wanted to mention Persona 3 and 4. It does draw a lot from that, um, more than just the team. A lot of the way that the nighttime hanging out in the bar is structured. Um mm-hmm. Follows a lot of the conventions that Persona Three and Four had established, like choosing how to spend your time and with whom, yeah. and you know developing your relationships in that way, and which ultimately goes back to uh, dating simulators, um, the Japanese kind of subgenre of PC games there, which is where kind of Persona got a lot of that. Uh, kind of the, the first thing that comes that springs to mind when I think about the block climbing puzzles is qbert <laughs> although I'm thinking that might be more aesthetically than mechanically. Um, yeah,
2: probably. There's a certain level yeah. of,
0: yeah, yeah. When I see the cubes and I see that I have to uh, <laughs> ascend know. them in a right. certain order, yeah. you know, there are certain kind of surface level similarities, but the way sure. that they play isn't exactly, um, you know, one to one. But uh, another interesting uh, thing that I was thinking of is Kula World. It's a game where you for um, the PlayStation, I believe, where you roll a kind of a, this this ball down. Um, this kind of twisty and turny 3d track and there's a lot of kind of positioning yourself and getting on to you know the alternate sides of uh of floating blocks and stuff like that and there's a a more recent steam game which i have played and enjoyed called puzzle dimension i believe that was kind of a spiritual successor to that um crazy climber was one that leon suggested and actually looks like uh like a pretty close approximation of what Catherine ended up becoming. It's an old arcade game where you'd be tasked with climbing up a building. Yeah, and just a couple others we threw out there, Yoshi's Cookie and Nebulous and Kurushi Intelligent Cube. Mm. So if any of those are unfamiliar to you, they're at least worth kind of checking out on YouTube and just getting a sense of um, you know what they look like. And I, I always think it's interesting trying to trace back where a lot of these influences come from and where a lot of these ideas stem from in the first place the characters in this game i think are what really grounds the whole experience we play as vincent brooks who in the english version is voiced by troy baker and in the japanese version is voiced by koichi yamadera Um, That's actually the same pair of voice actors who voiced Joel in The Last of Us in the English and Japanese versions, respectively. So kind of a
2: (laughs) funny tie in there. (laughs) Josh, how would you describe Vincent? (laughs) Vincent's kind of just your average 30 something who hasn't quite decided what to do with his life yet. He's got a job, he's stable, but He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who has the job he particularly wants yet or Mm -hmm. um, isn't entirely sure he's in a relationship that he wants to be in forever. But he's Mm -hmm. comfortable. He's not he's not in a bad situation. He's nice and he's, you know, he's set up but he's just kind of confused or Mm -hmm. not sure where to go next from where he's at. Very complacent
1: in all of his life decisions, it seems, up until this point. He's got this (laughs) this
0: big mess of black hair, which I just love. Like, his design (laughs) is really great. Like, the the first scene of the game, when um, when we get to see Vincent for the first time, he's sitting there across the table from Catherine with a... Oh, this is going to be a real disaster on the yeah, podcast, right. isn't it? <laughs> Catherine with a right, K, so, Catherine um, with a C. <laughs> yeah, we should say that there are two major characters in this game that have the same name that are pronounced phonetically the same. So um, <laughs> oh, how do we want to do this? Uh, we could say Catherine with a C, Catherine with a K. Nah, we could kind of infer from context. We could say katherine c <laughs> but that just sounds like we have a, a really unlistenable accent
2: i think i think katherine k and Catherine c works i That's think okay. fine. <laughs> yeah oh boy
0: <laughs> yeah so um he's sitting across from uh Catherine k who uh is you know tapping her nails on the table and he's just he looks so nervous and when he gets nervous he like his his eyes are really far apart in his head and he looks <laughs> like a fish or something. Like his, yeah. his entire face is so plastic throughout the game. Yeah. And uh, when he's scared, like his jaw opens up to like horror movie levels. <laughs> and yeah. um, he's so like overly expressive, which um, yeah. I actually really like it. It kind of, um, you know, of course it, it's drawn in, the, um, in a persona style. It, it mm-hmm. really does kind of fit in with the character design from those games. Mm. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about later that maybe these universes are actually connected. Um, There's a little bit of hints towards that. Mm -hmm. But um, it it does go a lot farther in how
1: kind of elastic and cartoony and over-the-top they're willing to take the animation. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's much more exaggerated, I think, than the Persona games. There seems persona seems a little more grounded in just like a a standard anime style and Mm -hmm. these are everything about catherine from story to character design is uh way more absurd i think than than those tend to be and i think it kind of ends up fitting in a weird awkward way
2: one thing I really love about Vincent's design specifically is that he really feels his age. Um mm-hmm. Sometimes when you have the, you know, anime art styles, you'll have somebody who looks like they're like 18 or something. And mm-hmm. they'll say, I'm 35. Mm-hmm. And you're like, <laughs> really? <laughs> but um Vincent feels very of his age and and i that's something that i I, you know i could extend to a lot of the characters in this game yeah like his group of friends his uh catherine with a k um everyone feels uh appropriately dressed and kind of Mm -hmm. has that kind of you know different age groups kind of carry themselves in a different way um and that kind of uh, thirties, um, confidence, but also, uh, for disillusionment that kind of like <laughs> yeah, yeah. i i've i've seen enough of the world that i know what i'm doing but i've also seen enough of the world that i know i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> that comes from that kind of age group mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah. and i love that they get that across with all of the characters yeah and uh just that he, they're they're not afraid to as you say exaggerate um vincent but uh, allow him to be goofy yeah. like he's not yeah. he's not you know he's an attractive man visually mm-hmm. but they don't play that up he's allowed to be silly and right, yeah. almost like a like a western cartoon in like a disney yeah. animated mm-hmm. short sometimes they allow him to be um comical and awkward in ways that um i don't often see in in, in this style of game
0: yeah he's um he's sort of meant to represent Uh, or he's meant to kind of be an audience plant in a certain way. Like you're supposed to kind of project a certain amount onto him. And so he does have a lot of kind of interpretability, but he's far from being like the Max character from Life is Strange or something where it's just like a complete like cardboard character. Uh, Like He he has a lot of personality and a lot um, that really comes through in his face. And mm-hmm. I think that works because, and it doesn't pull him away from being a good like audience surrogate because, um, you know, he is expressing his emotions. And I think that a lot of them, because he's reacting to a lot of like, you know, pretty typical horror situations, uh, this is to some extent, a horror game. Mm-hmm. Um, he's reacting in a way that a lot of people would, I think he's not doing anything well. He's finding himself in some situations that I think a lot of us might be smart enough to kind of figure our way out of. But um, I I think he's reacting in a very genuine way. Yeah. Like you were saying about his friend groups, I also really like the dynamic between his friends and the, I don't remember the name, but the kind of the younger guy that hangs around the group as well, who's just a little bit more kind of starry-eyed and naive than the rest of them. And they're just, you know... the. They humor him and they kind of, they're almost like kind of big brother, like Mm -hmm. we'll help you along to try to figure out all of this and a grown up world type stuff. But there's a lot of good natured ribbing there as well, because he just has no
1: idea what he's up to. (laughs) It reminds me a little bit of the way uh, Leon sometimes uh, picks on Josh, actually.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We should also mention uh, Catherine with a C that is uh, voiced by Laura Bailey in the English dub and Miyuki Sawashiro in the Japanese dub. She's an interesting character. I guess before we get to <laughs> what she ultimately comes out to be in the very end of the game, she is uh, kind of like we were saying before, how everyone kind of feels appropriately appropriately dressed and in place in this universe. <laughs> she kind of sticks out a little bit more. She's Her clothing is like somewhere between like regular clothing and lingerie. like It's yeah. kind of like in that middle space and her hair is i, I don't even know how you would get there like, to do that but <laughs> yeah.
1: it's like a weird mix of spirals and ponytail yeah at the same mm. time on yeah,
0: both sides. yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a cool design and yeah she's very almost seemingly kind of carefree out of light of spirits and all but um but she does have a very kind of sinister side to her as well and yeah. you can tell when she's trying to get something out of vincent like she's very good at mm-hmm. um at doing that
2: i i mean i i find her scary at points like <laughs> actually terrifying mm-hmm. yeah. and and i think her design actually plays into that in that yeah it's easy to look at her and go oh that's a, just a sexualized over sexualized woman and and that is deliberate yeah. but also yeah. it's very off like the design deliberately contrasts with every other character design Mm -hmm. in the game her hair feels like alien and weird Mm -hmm. compared to everyone else's more traditional haircuts her clothes are just absurd Mm -hmm. and everything about the way she interacts with vincent is 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 you know it's packed full of you know sexuality and what have mm. you, but also just kind of that unnerving unease that like she could do anything at any moment, yeah. like yeah. she could reach around her back and just stab <laughs> Vincent knife, in yeah. the face, <laughs> yeah. um, and and that kind of I I think because of that she ended up being like one of my favorite aspects of this game mm. because you know one of the things I think put me off uh with the early marketing of this game was just how sexualized this character was. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because... And, and this is a case of, you know, experiencing the art firsthand and actually understanding mm-hmm. what the art is trying to do um, and, and mm-hmm. then forming a, an opinion. Because I think the actual end result is very effective and yeah. it does exactly what it needs to do and I don't think it's exploitive. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there are people who disagree with me, but I think this game is actually trying to explore kind of the male the male gaze in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like actually yeah, comment yeah. on it not just kind of uh use it as a form of sexual exploitation yeah. um and i think yeah uh, everything with this with this character is a great mix of horror and kind of that that exploration of kind of uh the, you know the male gaze mm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, some of those moments that I think are the most effective are uh, like when she sends you kind of those naughty pictures of herself (laughs) and you, you know, you get a text message. So you look at your phone and he immediately closes it until he's like in a place by himself Mm -hmm. because, you know, he doesn't want people looking over his shoulder or whatever. And like that's uh, just... Like as for such a simple mechanic like that that works so well to really communicate what he's feeling and hmm. um you know, just a lot of the dynamics of that situation in mm-hmm. particular. And so uh yeah, there is a lot of both sexuality and sexiness in this game, but again, like I'd agree with Josh that they kind of work towards the ultimate end of, you know, kind of helping put the audience in vincent shoes and you know kind of allowing the audience to experience some of what he's experiencing as well it didn't feel like it was like sexiness for marketing's sake it really felt like it was like we're just kind of this is how catherine interacts with the world and this is how you know Mm. this is what vincent is going through and this is why which is such a kind of an interesting spot that i haven't seen explored in video games as well as it has been here catherine mcbride that is catherine with a k voiced by michelle ruff and kotono mitsuishi i believe in japanese yeah she is vincent's fiance at this point uh she's a very different design um (laughs) than Catherine with the sea does she has kind of really long silver straight hair um Mm -hmm. long fingernails um -hmm. kind of a Almost like uh, the way that like teachers or librarians are kind of coded in that type of media. Uh, she's a little bit more uptight, but not never in a way that feels like a real buzzkill, like in the way that yeah, yeah. just feels like she's really mature and grown up and actually like a really kind of admirable character. Like she does some things that are a little unbecoming later on. It doesn't feel like the game is trying to leverage either Catherine to make you like want to be with one of them more like right, they both yeah, are they both have the really yeah. interesting and cool characters and really like well fleshed out kind of three-dimensional there's no good guy and bad guy in this situation
2: I, th- I think if I were to have one criticism of um, uh, Catherine with a K's character, and it's not really a criticism of her, it's more just the way the story's represented, is that I would have liked to have seen more of the positive uh side of Vincent and Catherine's relationship, mm, maybe yeah. towards the beginning of their relationship, just so that the player got a Mm. real sense of what Vincent was losing by Mm, going with uh, Catherine with a C Um, that said um, I I do agree with you Ryan that uh, Catherine with a K never comes across as like a bad guy or d- deliberately making decisions that are designed for the player to kind of root against her or, or anything like that. I think her desires and demands are perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. They've been together for five years. It's not so crazy that they would get married or right, yeah. the, like, I think the fact that those two don't even live together. Maybe uh, I, I, I mm, say that yeah. I think that might be a cultural divide. Um, uh, you know, here mm, in the West, yeah. you you kind of expected to move into each other after a year or a couple of years of going out with each other. But Mm. um, they've been together for five years and Vincent's still in his own flat. Mm. And maybe, maybe that's a cultural thing, but I took it as kind of just a... Uh, example of vincent's unwillingness to change to anything yeah. about his situation yeah. Yeah. um and i i think everything that katherine is asking of him and um and you know pushing him towards is perfectly reasonable so at no point was i against her well the one thing that i might
1: have found against her was and maybe you guys can clear this up for me um but with the, regarding the whole pregnancy issue, like at, at one point she right, yeah. tells him that she's pregnant, and um, that of course freaks him out more than anything. And uh, uh, then later on, it's it's revealed that she wasn't, and that she holds it back from him. She held she knew it earlier that she wasn't pregnant, but she held it back. Right. And I think that's maybe like the one. Yeah, the one yeah. flaw it, it, for her, yeah. Because yeah. I think each yeah. character has these flaws, too. It's not just her, but yeah. I don't think she's uh, presented as an entirely um, yeah. angelic character. Which, again, like that's not like a
0: nefarious thing that she was doing. Like That is a very human thing, especially oh, once you yeah. see your partner kind of react so poorly to it. You're yeah. kind of like... Yeah how on board is he with this? Right. Like, I'm going to just see where this goes before mm-hmm. I pull the plug on it and say, oh, no, never mind. We're back yeah. to square one. <laughs> yeah. used yeah. to be." Yeah.
2: And and also, at the end of the day, if we're measuring sins, Vince's yeah. sin <laughs> is greater than his. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All of these voice actors that we mentioned
0: for the at least three main characters and, and much of the supporting cast as well are all huge, huge stars in mm-hmm. the voiceover scene, uh, which is... Uh, you know, for something that is kind of a niche title like this, isn't um, this isn't something that's like completely like a non-persona Shin Megami Tensei game is like a niche game in mm-hmm. the West at least. But um, but you know, at the same time, like this isn't a Call of Duty or anything like you know, sure. Yeah. So it's I, w- I was pretty impressed to see such huge voice actors mm-hmm. in this game, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that good voice acting is completely necessary in a game like this um you know to really sell the characters and to make the situations more believable like Mm -hmm. um and at least in the english dub i I never listened to the japanese dub and i'm not even sure if i'd (laughs) be able to um to judge it but they all did a pretty superb job throughout even the characters that are not voice acted or at least voice acted in kind of a weird way like there there is that kind of there's that kind of aesthetic that it also pulls where some of the voices are a little like cheesy and hammy and weird kind of like uh, like bayonetta does a lot of the same thing yeah,
2: yeah. but it,
0: it kind of fits in the universe with who those characters are supposed to be and and so nothing ever felt like uh like a mistake in the voice acting front like i, mm-hmm. I was really um you know strong for the uh the voice work in this game
2: I think it's helped as well that the writing uh, on the Mm -hmm. whole, I think, is fairly solid. Um, Mm -hmm. I think um, Atlas US, uh, US... Is just really, really good at localization. Um, I think both Persona games are evidence of that as well. But mm-hmm. Catherine, I think, is some of the best, uh, work they've done. Um, yeah. And yeah, Troy Baker's performance in this, I think, is really, really good. I think it's among his best, uh, performances. Mm-hmm. And, and that says yeah. a lot because he's, he's been involved in some of the, uh, my, you know, some of my favorite, um, uh favorite games in terms of performance out there so mm-hmm. yeah i think yeah on the whole i think this is uh this is really successful we kind of referenced at the beginning of the podcast the golden playhouse framing
0: device which doesn't play a huge part in the story i i think it's only seen at the beginning and the end although i might be mistaken there might be kind of like episode breaks um where they give you a little bit of a uh mm-hmm. interlude in between chapters which i'm honestly not remembering now that i think about it but it is this um character named the midnight venus who introduces the story to you and does a little wrap up at the end kind of talking about mm-hmm. the you know, the way that the story played out and explaining a little bit of the symbolism and talking about your choices which mm-hmm. feels if they had to cut anything like this game wouldn't be missing anything for not yeah. having those scenes but <laughs> yeah i I'm honestly undecided as to whether I really like them or not because yeah. like they don't add a ton to the game, but no. they, they do bring a certain level of like, of confidence and mm-hmm. kind of classiness. And, and, and again, they reminded me of, uh, of Bayonetta and mm-hmm. the kind of framing devices in that game. And, um, and it's just something about that <laughs> it just made it feel so kind of, and kind a of stylish and cool, right, but yeah. Yeah, I I really don't know where I stand on this.
1: Yeah, it felt to me like a really sexy version of The Twilight Zone. Okay, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) like you have like this Casey Kasemish kind of character Mm -hmm. introducing you to this weird story, and then the the, you know as you said, she only comes back at the end. The one thing I don't like about uh, when she comes back at the end of the story is how she just like kills all of the subtlety when she's like could you guys (laughs) did you guys know what the story was really about you can you can say that the blocks were him climbing and beating his own demons and all this you know that felt like way too uh on the nose there but
0: i feel like at one point she even said aren't the designers of this game or something to that effect it's like all right let's Let's yeah. not pretend. Calm down.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's cute, and and she's a really neat looking character. Like she she has the gigantic afro, but also with like the, uh, the huge sideburns that are almost kind of more male than female in a way. Yeah, yeah, I like that. A lot of the, the themes in the game
0: are themes that aren't explored in a lot of other games. Um, mm-hmm. I think they are explored here really well mm-hmm. and handled with a lot of subtlety by a team that can handle themes like this. I wanted to just kind of go through a few of these. The primary struggle in the game is a mm-hmm. theme of uh, not necessarily good and evil, but of commitment, um, which is represented by Catherine with a K, versus mm-hmm. kind of sexual or relational freedom as represented by Catherine with C. And uh, kind of revolves around themes of, of freedom and order or, you know, they, they label it as chaos or whatever. But mm-hmm. it, um, it is this, this struggle of like a psychological stage that a lot of people, everybody has to kind of come to this point in their life where they have to make that decision. Like, do I want to have a, an, a stable, predictable, safe life or do I want mm-hmm. a life of freedom where I can, you know, travel and and do things on my own, and you know mm. all of this that kind of goes away when you do get you know really kind of settled down and and have to be accountable to somebody else in your life,
1: yeah, this is the kind of thing that really ended up sticking with me the most, I think out of the game because, like I said earlier, um you know I bought the game with my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, and uh a lot of the questions that are being asked of Vincent at the time were being asked of me. Um, Mm -hmm. So it ended up being a really um, uh, adventurous playthrough of this game for me because she'd be sitting right next to me saying, what's your answer here? Well, you think life (laughs) begins or ends with marriage, huh? Which one? What's it going to be? And I like that uh, um, it doesn't really judge either freedom or order. It's just kind of like, there's no good or bad. You know, as most games right. that have these kind of, like, binary decisions, you know, Mass Effect, are you going to destroy the universe? Are you going to help, you know, <laughs> fix it with this? Uh... But in this, it's just definitely more just, like, what's your personality, like, not how yeah, yeah. good or bad are you? Yeah.
0: So, how was that playing through with your girlfriend-fiancé <laughs> at the time? Like... It was
1: fun. It was fun. It, it, it never got, like, weird or or, uh, or negative, I guess. Um,
0: okay. But did it bring up kind of interesting talking points? Like, would you kind of turn off the game and have long conversations <laughs> no, afterwards? Never, we never okay. got that,
1: that <laughs> deep with it. But she did often um, question whether I was answering honestly, because <laughs> the question mm, would pop up okay. on the screen, you, know, uh, you yeah. know, do you prefer this or that? And whatever right. i pick, you know. I
0: was, I was a good guy. I was a good guy. There <laughs> yeah. was some like, uh, like, have you ever cheated on a partner or mm-hmm. anything like that? Yeah. And-
1: And there's some weird ones, too. Like, do you think
2: men are more attractive in boxers or briefs? Like, I don't see how that (laughs) is freedom. I think I really appreciated that the game really stuck to these intimate themes rather Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. kind of. A lot of games try to escalate things really quickly. So mm-hmm. it starts out, okay, it's just these characters, and then, oh, right, it's the end of the world, <laughs> and mm-hmm. now we're dealing with this. And the problem with the end of the world is that it's really hard to relate to the end of the world. It's <laughs> yeah. like a problem mm-hmm. that people face because that's just, it's not, yeah, nobody can think on that scale. Yeah. Whereas it, you, you're asked something like, um do do you think uh you would cheat on your partner or something like Mm -hmm. that that question is so much more um crammed uh full of meaning and it says so much about you as a person Mm -hmm. um you know what your answer says a lot about you and the fact that it committed to that just all the way through the game Mm -hmm. just everything about it was exploring these themes and these really intimate themes that are uncomfortable to talk about mm-hmm. and i can only imagine some of, like some of the questions i you know got towards the latter half of the game like, like one of them was do you, if if a robot looked exactly the same as a person um uh, or was it like if you discovered your lover was a robot <laughs> um would you be okay with that and <laughs> I w- that came out of nowhere for me because like, towards the beginning of the game you get the more kind of binary like would yeah. you cheat on a partner and stuff yeah. like and mm-hmm. and you and you're you're led to believe that a lot of the questions throughout the entire game are going to be that where it's going to be like okay I'll, I'm going to pick the option that's not the asshole option as it were <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but. With that question, it was like well this this being, as it were, loves you, and mm-hmm. you formed a relationship with it. Yeah. does the fact that suddenly, <laughs> it suddenly turns out it's not human actually affect your feelings towards yeah. it and I was actually really stumped by that question yeah. mm-hmm. um it really took me aback i was like i I really don't know how to answer this mm-hmm. um and I, and that became common throughout the latter half of the game that there were questions where i was like i could honestly go either way because Mm -hmm. i'm not entirely sure how i would answer this question yeah
1: yeah some of the one thing that's cool is that with every question uh if you're playing online after you answer it it says you know it gives you a pie chart and shows you who answered what and i think as the game gets towards the later half a lot more at least my experience a lot more of the answers were more split down the middle as it kept yeah. going, mm. as first everybody was picking the good option, you know, there's way, way more outweighing the negative one. But it was interesting to see how things uh, changed halfway down the line. I think that the only real failing of that system, and,
0: you know, I think that it, it was really interesting to see, to have these questions because, you know, it meant that at least for those few minutes, it, it regrounded you in your own reality. You yeah, know, You, you yeah. had to stop viewing it as a game and had to at least to some degree kind of internalize what was happening on screen as like, Mm -hmm. okay, this represents an aspect of uh, relationships and that's relatable. It's something that I've gone through. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, the fact that, you know, the same as Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic or uh, Mass Effect, um, if you wanted to get one of the better endings you had mm-hmm. to fully commit to either yeah, being yeah and so from the very beginning you just had to choose which ending do i want to see mm-hmm. and i'm going to make all of my answers go that way yeah. which on one hand it's kind of neat that vincent's choices that he makes throughout the game or a lot of the things that he thinks to himself um, mm-hmm. at various points during cutscenes, uh, do kind of reflect the attitude that you might be taking based on yeah. how you answer these personality test questions but um it does kind of reduce the these potentially really interesting moments to min-maxing for sure, you know yeah. the desired result which kind of takes away. Yeah. And so I would have been happy with um, you know, maybe just over fifty percent you'll see this ending, under fifty percent you'll see mm. that ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so really like just be loose with the numbers. You don't have yeah. to fully dedicate because, you know, those types of like personal questions like I like to answer them how I would believe totally. them but I just don't mm-hmm. like to think that I'm cheating myself out of seeing a good ending
1: how do you guys also feel about how it doesn't seem to really affect the story at all it just affects the ending I mean am I right in that saying that does it, does it actually change any story beats or it, to some
0: degree it you can have the kind of walking dead argument where it's like okay nothing that actually happens and the story is changing but yeah
1: um
0: yeah there are a few points where it does kind of check in during the cutscenes, okay. and it says you know what would you do in the situation? I don't remember if that actually makes Vincent behave any differently. Okay, but yeah. we do hear kind of a different thought process go through his head as he's doing the right. kind of internal narration type yeah, thing, like which zooms in on I his think, eyes
1: and yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It,
0: it kind of changes our reading of the character. Okay, and so for me, and you know what I come to video games to get from it, like that's enough of a change. Mm-hmm. But I understand a lot of people can just say like they swapped out one voice clip. That's not really <laughs> right. going the extra mile. Sure. Okay. Catherine with a C could be seen as kind of a manifestation of Vincent's uh resistance to commitment naturally it there are hints from the beginning that she's there's something kind of off about her like there's something mm-hmm. that's kind of otherworldly almost mm-hmm. um you know she'll wake up in bed with him um in the morning and he will have no memory of anything that happened the previous night after they left the bar um you know, it's kind of hand wave that maybe he was, uh, you know, over, or maybe he was drinking too much and kind of blacked right, out yeah. that evening. But uh, it, it does start to get a little suspicious that, you know, why wouldn't he remember things going on? And so, in that sense, I think it'd be really interesting if Catherine was just some kind of like hallucination that he was having because of his, his guilt or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his feelings. Um, turns out to be something a little bit different, but kind of in the <laughs> same vein. I also thought it was kind of an interesting way to think about it that um, if you want to view this from like Freudian psychology, Mm -hmm. Catherine would represent the id, uh, kind of this uh, um, freedom, the instincts, the desire to go out and, you know, have the world. Uh, Vincent or his friends could represent the ego and Catherine, the superego, the Mm -hmm. um, kind of conscience or the, the right thing to do. There are, of course... Uh, supernatural elements throughout the story which yeah, again kind of play an interesting part. We're introduced pretty early on to the fact that young men, uh, young single men in particular are are dying throughout the city mysteriously in their sleep and they don't seem to be unhealthy beforehand but they are complaining of nightmares before they die. You know without kind of going into all of the depths of how this ends up playing out we find out that, that these men are being pulled into this kind of nightmare realm by Catherine, who turns out to be kind of a supernatural succubus working for not necessarily the devil, but kind of a, mm. a stand in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I guess I, it ends up being the case that it is a kind of a supernatural punishment almost for not uh procreating or yeah, kind of propagating yeah. the human species yeah which plays nicely with a lot of the kind of men as sheep themes mm-hmm. and the themes of commitment and stuff but uh it, it ended up kind of explaining more than i felt was necessary to explain yeah. like i kind of liked yeah. the mystery and i kind of yeah. liked the um just not knowing what was happening and mm-hmm. you know i don't know if you can end a story on that level of ambiguity but uh it felt like once they told me what was going on, I'm like, you know, I kind of thought that makes sense, but I'm not sure if I mm-hmm. entirely like it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it fits. It fits the story that they were telling in a, in a very basic way, but it feels like they turned up the absurdity to eleven. Like it was already kind of an absurd yeah. story up, and then it just once it starts getting into the whole succubus uh, stuff and and boss turning into what he turns into and his name turns to Dumuzid or something it just gets kind of like a little uh, a little absurd I mean I I rolled with it but I do agree with you I kind of wish there was a little more of a graceful ending
2: yeah I I, I don't think it damages the experience overall but I think if any game could get away with just being more focused on the themes Mm. rather than the kind of chess piece storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Um Catherine could have gotten away with it. I mm-hmm. don't think you need all this information. And I think the the ending in general kind of suffers a bit from over explaining. We already yeah. mentioned the fact that they pretty much point out, oh, this is a metaphor yeah. for uh <laughs> blah 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 blah. Um yeah, so I I would have appreciated a more kind of tactful, subtle hand when it mm-hmm. came to kind of explaining what was going on but i don't think it i don't think it damages what came before
0: yeah but it does go back to what you were saying earlier josh that uh you know it took a very personable relatable Mm -hmm. narrative and turned it into ultimately a saving the world narrative which is that is true i find less interesting
2: yeah Yeah. i I think it's it was less obviously saving the world because it was more just saving this you know group of guys who can't be bothered to get married or what <laughs> have you so the scales yeah. were it weren't it wasn't that enormous but mm-hmm. yeah still it kind of leaned into that big final yeah, encounter well,
0: you know this character reveals himself to be this um this kind of god of of procreation or whatever that's existed <laughs> since the Sumerian times. And it really kind of stepped up the, the scale of the mm-hmm. adventure. But what I did really like were the kind of themes of um, male and female power dynamics that were mm-hmm. kind of brought up throughout the game, most obviously between Vincent and Catherine Kay. But, uh, you know, throughout a lot of the uh, the stories that we hear of people that are mm-hmm. in the bars, uh, in the bar, in the stray sheep, which we get to walk around in at nighttime, um, you know, kind of after work, everyone's there having a drink. And some nights, different people will be there and we can choose who we sit with and hear the story of. And, and so, you know, just getting to visit all of those characters every night and hear their stories, it's um, a lot of really interesting stuff came out. And, and I thought that they handled the you know, male-female dynamics relationships in uh in a pretty good way overall of course a lot of talk about cheating in relationships um that's pretty Mm. common throughout and that that fits nicely with the theme you know at one point vincent gets a uh phone call from somebody who had been seeing catherine c previously Mm. or um and you know thinks that he's taking away you know catherine from him but at the same time, you know, he is a married man and was planning to leave his wife to be mm-hmm. with Catherine. And yeah, just these uh, kind of these whips of how, you know, cheating can really ruin a person's life and can, mm-hmm. you know, really like it damages everything around you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can tell how how uh, unhinged that character becomes towards the end of yeah. the character of Steve, who uh, Catherine with mm-hmm. the Kate has... <laughs> That whole uh, conversation that they have at some point, where where Vincent is losing his mind because he's starting to think like Catherine with the K is cheating on him with this guy Steve, because Catherine with the C doesn't know uh, the Steve character, so he's sitting there like across from her and he's like, "You got to know a guy named Steve," and she somehow doesn't know anyone named Steve. Like, come on, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's Japan, but, so you know. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's true but yeah i did like how it 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 um explored how how all of this um can affect not just the one person who's doing the cheating but it affects you know it can affect so many
2: different people and and drive people to lose their minds i guess yeah and i think the game does a really good job of getting the the player to really empathize with um Vincent's fear mm-hmm. of uh Catherine with a k finding mm, out mm-hmm. um that e- even though like the 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 moral part of my brain is going Catherine with a k has a right to know what's mm-hmm. going on yeah. and vincent should be up front and he should have ended this ages ago yeah but like that that scene where she's at the door and Catherine with a C is in you know the next you know in in his bathroom <laughs> yeah and he's like trying to get her to go away because at any second, Catherine with a C is just going to come around a corner Mm -hmm. and that's it. The relationship's over. Mm -hmm. You are afraid for him. You are terrified (laughs) for him. And I, I, I think that's a credit to, you know, uh, troy baker as an actor in the writing mm-hmm. that it gets you to to empathize with him but you know even though what he is doing is categorically wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and it, it's interesting because you know at that point we didn't know that there was anything supernatural about right Catherine yeah. C, but yeah. you know towards the end of the game it kind of comes out that no nobody's ever seen you chatting with anybody in a bar and mm-hmm. you know maybe yeah. you're the only one that can see her and so when Catherine K. came around that that last time um, when Catherine C. was still in the apartment. I thought, like, okay, well, nothing's going to happen. Just, you know, kind of keep your cool and this will all blow over. <laughs> um, and no, she says, like, oh, who's that? And she can see Catherine C. now. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic there. And mm-hmm. I, I do really like that kind of the way that I was expecting this to go was for it to be one of those stories, like, Okay, you need to break up with Catherine C, then you can just put it all behind you like it never happened and mm-hmm. Catherine K never needs to find out and you need you can just go on with your life and and just learn something from your adventure. But on on, you know, it, it still maintains like you are still lying about that and it's still a very one-sided decision that you're making. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do like that they didn't just leave it there, that he does end up having a conversation with Catherine and um that, you know, he does bring her into it and mm-hmm. it the game wasn't satisfied with just leaving it at you learned your lesson you won't do it right. again yeah. Like this yeah. was a relational problem and the solution was relational as well mm-hmm. I, and you'll you'll notice that we haven't talked about the gameplay at all yet and <laughs> that's not to try to downplay the gameplay Um, We are going to talk about it. It's just that this game is so kind of bisected into two pieces that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you really have to talk about them separately because there's not a lot of back and forth on them. And so we are kind of front loading with a lot of the story stuff. So those of you who are interested in the block climbing stuff, we are not skipping that. But before we get to it, I think there is kind of one last point that we have to talk about um, in the story realm. And that is uh, kind of the controversy that surrounded Mm the game. There's been a lot of complaints of uh, misogyny, which is, you know, totally fair and valid. Um, It's uh, the game is a kind of sexy type game. And we've we've talked a little bit about that. Um, A lot of the marketing kind of played that up a little bit as you would expect it to. I, I think, you know, we talked about earlier that none of us came away with an idea. Uh, with the uh feeling that this game was overly exploitative but i i'd still mm-hmm. say that if people were offended by it or you know particularly about the way that it would um kind of portray women because it is meant to uh definitely portray Catherine in a kind of sexual light mm-hmm. um you know as uh kind of objectifying at times um mm-hmm. you know by design of the game to examine the male gaze in that sense um it's a totally fair and valid point i yeah. um and you know it went on to uh some of the uh cover art uh, was edited um i don't know if it was just in north america or whether it was edited throughout the world but um you know they uh both the xbox 360 version and the ps3 version which had different cover art featuring one or the other of the uh main women were um kind of zoomed in to yeah. Crop out face. some of the mm-hmm. naughty bits. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it seemed a little extreme, in my opinion. The the editing, it, it I mean, you know, it, it's just it, It's a difference of what offends certain people, but I felt mm-hmm. like the original covers for for both versions didn't really seem that extreme to me. Yeah, but
0: well, they're meant to be prov- provocative, and yeah, know, I think it's meant they, to catch your you eye. Know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, that kinda comes down to what stores are comfortable putting on right, their yeah, shelves where kids are gonna be browsing around and stuff. So you yeah, know yeah. that's makes sense. That's uh, that's totally fair and I'm not one of those types who are going to really throw up our banner for of course, like, yeah. games must never be edited. You know, there are yeah, yeah, yeah. games exist in the real world and you sometimes <laughs> you have to make real world concessions which totally. are, you yeah. know, um totally fine. But the original cover art still exist and mm-hmm. you know you can find it and there wasn't that much editing to the content of the game from what i can surmise
2: i think it's kind of a shame that the panel for this show is just oh, a man. bunch of white guys yeah. Yeah. um because i would have i would have loved to get the perspective of uh, a woman on yeah. on, on yeah. this stuff but uh, speaking for myself i I felt that the PR and the marketing for this game was way more misogynistic than mm-hmm. anything that's actually in the the game itself. Mm-hmm. I think any any moments of objectification has a point yeah. in the game, like it's not mm-hmm. there yeah, to absolutely. titillate. It's there to make a uh, to make commentary on relationships and sex and 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 the male attitude towards those two things i think you could definitely make make the argument that this game is far more concerned with the male perspective yeah. on relationships and, totally. and 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 sex than than it is on the uh, female perspective on sex and relationships mm. and i think that's totally fair and valid mm. but like I if if you're going I, I think the worst examples of kind of outright sexual objectification are outside of the the game. Yeah. Um I talked about this on social media a little bit, but there was quite a controversial PR event where The launch event for uh, Catherine in in Britain was held at a London strip club, Mm, which just mm. to me feels like a massive uh, misunderstanding of what that game is all about. If it was dead or alive, even though I still wouldn't be okay with it, (laughs) if it was dead or alive, I would at least understand the thinking. But with this game, it feels completely out of place. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The one uh,
1: area of controversy that I I tend to agree with, which is really unfortunate, is um, uh, the transphobic complaints Mm, about uh, the character of Erica. Um, I think that her character is great. Like, I actually really like how she's portrayed, and Mm -hmm. uh, I think she's a really fun character. Um, But the way that the rest of the crew kind of takes jabs at her it's always, like, real subtle, and I actually didn't even really catch it until I started hearing the complaints. It's only, like, a couple moments, and it, so it's not enough to really, yeah, you know, ruin my experience with the game. But it, it does kind of, it sucks that it's there. And it's not, like, out of the ordinary for them, because they kind of did a little bit with Persona 4. Like, they, they could have been a little bit more graceful with the way they handle these characters. And yeah, I think this yeah. might be a cultural difference thing here, but...
0: yeah in Persona 4, how it was, you know, this character who identified as uh, a male, but Mm -hmm. was, um, you know, biologically female, kind of the resolution to that story was, you know, you just need to accept being a female and it's okay Mm -hmm. to be a girl. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, you you know, let (laughs) people make their own decision here. And so, uh, you know, going into this, I, I didn't have huge high hopes for once I heard that there was a, um, you know, transsexual character. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that the thing that made me most uncomfortable about this particular character, because I think the character was well-written and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe if the uh, kind of making fun of the character was explored as like a character growth piece or or something that, um, you know, was like addressed as this is an issue that a uh, transsexual person might go through, then that would be um, a really valid point of... um, totally you No, know, yeah. it could be a, a positive for the game but um but the fact that the kind of younger naive friend who hangs mm-hmm. out with the friend group ends up kind of hooking up with her at one point and everybody else is just like wait till you find out right like, yeah
1: it didn't yeah. actually count and it's like yeah. come on guys like, it's like i want my v card back like it's just mm, it's yeah, played it's up as yeah. a joke more than anything else and it's, it's yeah. just shame. yeah
0: but um yeah <laughs> It is unfortunate in the game that gets a lot else really right, I think. Yeah, (laughs) totally. My perspective. But um, yeah, anyways, uh, uh, do we want to touch on those endings at all? There are six total endings, I believe. Um, There are essentially three ways that the story can resolve itself. But uh, each of those has like a true and untrue Mm -hmm. version of that ending, depending on how I don't know, maybe how well you played or how dedicated you were to your uh, choices. You made of those kind of moral choice mm-hmm. touch points throughout. Um, yeah. But uh, there was the uh, the Catherine with the K ending, where you end up getting married to her. And it's actually a really fun marriage scene of everybody mm-hmm. hanging out yeah. in the bar and, you know, it's everybody taking pictures and um videos and kind of chatting about the uh, kind of months after the events of the game took place. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a really fun time to really uh, to spend with the friends that we've made throughout the game. Uh mm-hmm. there's the neutral ending where Vincent uh ends up becoming a uh, a space tourist, something that he had been <laughs> wanting throughout the game. He rejects both women and says, I'm you know, all of this has shown me that I'm happier just kind of being on my own and mm-hmm. not being in the midst of the drama of a relationship. And so I'm going to look for ways to make myself happy instead of trying to find myself by um you know in relation with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh there is the Catherine with a C ending, which is hilarious. Like <laughs> uh, when her when her father, like this this demon owl type <laughs> creature, um bursts up from hell and uh you know, once once he sees that you know Catherine is being and you know, a propositioned by uh, by Vincent, he says, "I will not stand for this." And, <laughs> um, quite an amusing scene, uh, definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen that in your own playthrough. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vincent gets to be a lord of hell, where he <laughs> and Catherine just rule the land of uh, of hell, pretty much.
1: <laughs> Very silly stuff. Uh, <laughs> did, we, uh, did any of us not get just the regular, normal? love ending in the first playthrough like that's that seems to be usually what most people get
0: i'm not remembering which ending i got actually
2: i i just got the ending where um Catherine with a k and vincent are in bed together yeah. clearly mm-hmm. planning a wedding right yeah um i didn't get the uh proper full the true you know, mm-hmm. wedding ending
0: all right let's uh let's finally <laughs> get to the gameplay mechanics <laughs> <laughs> all right we're about an- an hour in <laughs> we're just now talking about gameplay yeah um but we will we'll give us a thorough cane and rinsing sure. um worry you not uh, of course as we talked about in the daytime i guess that would be more of the kind of evening after work um we spend time in the stray sheep bar where we can talk about uh, talk to the individual characters and talk about uh, learn some of their stories and and we find out that those characters end up coming back within the a nightmare puzzle sequences um and we also have access to a an arcade game that is kind of uh, uh kind of similar to the <laughs> block climbing puzzles it, it mm. um it's themed off of like a rapunzel type of theme um like a fairy tale aesthetic and you know i, I could say that when i was playing the game the last thing that i wanted were more block climbing puzzles (laughs) and these ended up getting pretty tricky uh they kind of had a few different mechanics uh so they kind of mixed it up a little bit in that way but um i wasn't hugely keen on playing this although i think i think you got something if you beat all of them in the allotted time period but i i don't
1: think i ever ended up achieving that yeah I, i never i never really went back to it more than i think like five to ten levels i think as about as far as i can yeah. go because I'd, I'd rather spend the time in the bar talking to the other patrons in there because yeah yeah depending on what you do as time passes people come in and they go and that will uh, eventually play into whether they survive through the night or not and so yeah i, I, I dabbled with it a little bit but Mm -hmm. it was a cute little idea but i just i'd rather spend time doing other stuff especially talking to other people and drinking at the same time too learning all the new (laughs) neat little factoids about uh whiskey and sake yeah yeah
0: and then uh nighttime we have the puzzle sequences this game is um as we said before very kind of black and white like these two sequences exist side by side and Mm -hmm. don't really interact a lot you know you could um, make the argument that the nightmare sequences are kind of representative of the struggle that Vincent is going through. Yeah. But, you know, mechanically, it's it's a bit of a stretch to really tie that back into the uh, stuff that's happening in Vincent's story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, But it, it ends up coming out to... It's a tower of blocks in all kinds of different directions, uh, cubes, and uh, you just have to climb to the top using all sorts of really... Um, Kind of complicated climbing methods you can push and pull blocks and blocks mm-hmm. will fall and, and climb around the sides of blocks and use special items to skip certain blocks and there are ice blocks and all sorts of different types <laughs> of it's it's very complicated and yeah. um very difficult as well which yeah. um in its original release many uh, japanese gamers said that the game was impossible even on its <laughs> easiest setting Uh, So a super easy mode was patched in and the English version shipped with the setting in place, I believe called the easy mode. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was just, you know, when the Japanese are saying that a game is too hard, then it's probably (laughs) pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What do you guys think about the block climbing puzzles? Or if any of you have a better explanation of what these are than I was able to surmise (laughs) in that short amount of time.
2: At times, I did actually enjoy Mm -hmm. the block puzzles Um, because there is a lot of depth here, um, which surprised me. The way you can arrange blocks and kind of uh, create staircases and Mm -hmm. push them out, push them back, blah, 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 blah. Like, there is a lot you can do. And when they start introducing some of the more fantastical blocks, it it did get really fun at points. Mm But also there are points where this stuff is immensely frustrating. Um, because, uh, well, first of all, you've, you've got the blocks falling down below you. So there's this constant pressure that you have to keep marching forwards. Mm -hmm. If the game didn't have that and it was just up to you to get to the top whatever way you can without that pressure i think i would have enjoyed most of the puzzles it presented me more mm. because it would have given me that time to really look at it and go right what how do i need to do this yeah. but because of that fret i was like no i have no time right <laughs> let's just try whatever whatever yeah let's go yeah. um and I think the enemies that they start introducing more and more as the game goes on mm-hmm. were a mistake by and large. I don't, mm. I don't like the ants or especially the <laughs> ants. For whatever reason, the ants frustrate me the most. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of like sheep with hammers and, and yeah. whatever, like that, that stuff just felt really, unnecessarily yeah. frustrating especially when one would just stand directly on top of the block <laughs> yeah. that you would just we need to get position yeah. <laughs> and I have nowhere else to go like I th- at that point you might as well restart because mm-hmm. I can't go anywhere else um, so yeah it, it was just by and large it was just this weird mix of moments where i was like "Ah, no this is all right i'm enjoying myself and then moments of pure anger and frustration yeah i yeah, i'd almost entirely agree with all of that and there's one
1: area that i think they they commit a cardinal sin with regarding this uh type of puzzle is that you can't turn the camera all the way around you can only turn it around halfway mm, and yeah so, when you can climb around the back of the blocks, but not only does are, are you not allowed to see back there, but it reverses the controls when you get back there. So, it becomes the most insanity-inducing moments for me
2: <laughs> when <laughs>
1: I can't see my character and I'm pushing the buttons and I, I don't know how to make him get back to where I was. And that drove me in completely nuts. Um, hmm. But most of the time, I was having fun with it. I, I, it's a it's type of puzzle that I haven't seen myself really in any other kind of game. And so it was fun to yeah. try and tackle them. And I also like that they, um, it doesn't seem like there's just one strict way to climb all the way to the top. Like you can make your own way up there for most of them. I think there are at least like one or two levels where there's just only one way to get up. But I, I did enjoy that you can make your own way up there
0: i believe i read that in the japanese version and this is something they fixed with that patch to add in the easier mode but in the Babel mode which is is it an endless climber i know it's the kind of multiplayer section of the game but it was just more kind of climbing puzzles Mm -hmm. that you can do with a friend uh one of the puzzles actually was impossible so there there was (laughs) no way to to top that one so they had to fix that of course but um (laughs) just goes to show you that uh yeah, uh, more than anything, this game actually kind of reminded me of the way that the the Witness ended up coming out, the new Jonathan mm. Blow game that came out mm-hmm. um, earlier in twenty sixteen, where uh-huh. the game is essentially just a set of kind of logic puzzles that yeah. are uh, kind of set in a world that I think a lot of people find a lot more interesting than the puzzles, and so you know the puzzles are almost like a second thought to a lot of people who go through either game and. Uh, the various nightmares culminate in a boss fight, which um, were frustrating. But I think, as far as like the visual presentation goes, were some of the highlights <laughs> of the nightmares totally. at least. Uh, yeah. These are really strange creatures, usually that are chasing you up the um, chasing you up these blocks. Which, you know, as we mentioned, the blocks would already fall away at the bottom of the screen, and so you'd have a time limit already. And so these didn't change the gameplay immensely, but it is quite a bit more unnerving when you have these huge creatures that are just grotesque and quite (laughs) monstrous chasing you up here. And uh, uh, did any of these stand out to any of you?
1: I think we know the one that stands out to everybody. (laughs) Yeah, the immoral beast, uh the ass monster yeah. is um it's the one that like immediately sticks out in my mind when I think about the the bosses in Catherine, but I actually like Child with a Chainsaw the most. <laughs> I think that one's like mm. the silliest and, and it actually made me laugh the way he just as it climbs up underneath you and it's like, you know, trying to attack you and just Daddy That all <laughs> just and ends that's up being interesting really. Because uh, we so. got
0: a uh, we got a little well, not a little, we got a giant evil baby chasing us earlier the night after uh, Catherine Kay said that she might be pregnant and that mm-hmm. was his fear of, mm-hmm. you know, being a father and he's not ready for this. But mm-hmm. um, we got this child with a chainsaw. It's kind of a mechanized version of this baby <laughs> yeah. with like a mini gun for an eye and, <laughs> you know, metal plates yeah. all over its body and stuff that uh-huh. um, kind of represented that maybe this baby isn't actually his. This was the night right, after yeah. he thought that she might be cheating on him. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he thought, you know, maybe, This child is only, you know, it's half her and half who knows Mm -hmm. um, who knows who. And so it kind of represented a real danger to that relationship. Mm -hmm.
2: I I thought that boss was also mechanically the most interesting Mm -hmm. because it did a good job of telegraphing most of its attacks and special abilities in a way that some of the later bosses especially <laughs> don't really do. Yeah. Um I, I always felt I was given plenty of time to get mm. out of the way of um, you know, the he kind of sends like these robot like saw blade things Mm. across the stage like i did i didn't really have too much trouble with them Mm. i mean i got killed by them a couple of times but it always felt like my fault Mm. rather than the game just poorly um telegraphing things but the boss that frustrated me the most was uh the 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 very last boss um Mm. thomas uh thomas mutants um am I pronouncing that right I believe Uh,
0: believe you like mutton like mutton chops um, ties into the
2: sheep (laughs) yeah of course it is sorry (laughs) I'm being an idiot Um, yeah Thomas Mutton's uh, second form um, just the way he randomly changed blocks (laughs) and you're moving you know you're kind of moving a block along and then suddenly the block below you turns into a spike trap and then that's over you're dead and then he starts summoning fireballs and it's really mm-hmm. hard to anticipate where they're going to land because it's not very clear. Yeah. I, th- that, boss, that boss drove me up the wall <laughs> um, and I cheered when I eventually <laughs> uh, completed it.
1: <laughs> I like that. I, I, th- I had fun with that boss but I totally agree that a lot of the, the way he changes all the, the blocks underneath you is extremely uh, frustrating and you can tell how randomized it is because if you just hit undo right after he changes them they'll all like change to something completely different that they weren't before that he changed them to Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so like you can just tell that 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 isn't as well thought out maybe as some of the other bosses were
0: Uh, so the music that plays throughout the game is composed by soji meguru who is a composer in the Persona series? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the um, kind of style of music is going to be pretty familiar. Although I thought it was a little bit more uh, kind of sedate and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit darker in this game. Yeah, um, I so agree. But really wonderful, especially the piano stuff is mm-hmm. um, quite interesting. It actually reminded me a lot of the music that would play in the velvet rooms in the yeah. Persona three and four games, and um, yeah, but just some really great, really haunting stuff in this game. Mm-hmm. I, I do like the soundtrack.
1: Yeah, I love, love the soundtrack a lot of it. Um, sounds like kind of stuff you'd hear in a jazz bar, but like a more, like mm. a, yeah, maybe like a jazz bar for younger people, I guess, if that makes any sense. Like, um, yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's really just sexy and cool music. And then contrast that with the uh, really over the top orchestral uh, songs that play during the. Uh, puzzle sequences, which are still fun Mm -hmm. too, but I I definitely much more prefer the straight sheep kind of stuff.
0: And many of those songs are based on kind of classical music. Right,
1: yeah.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Now the uh, game has an interesting legacy. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, it had pretty mixed reviews when it first came out, but it was uh, very highly regarded in retrospect. And I wonder if that was because people don't remember playing it as much as they remember the experience of Catherine. Mm -hmm. Um, But it made many best of the generation lists. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, all complaints aside, like it was a memorable experience and it was something Mm -hmm. that really stood out as being truly unique in the last generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vincent has a cameo in Persona 3 Portable as man drinking alone, in which he complains (laughs) of nightmares and a mysterious woman who has thrown his life for a loop. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, yeah, for any of you who are playing along with Kane and Rince, we have the Persona 3 show co- coming up in a few months. And so if you are playing the PSP version, which you can also play on the Vita, then uh, look out for Vincent. He is in there.
2: <laughs> how,
1: <laughs> how? What's the um, time difference? Do, you, do either of you know, like, when did Persona 3 Portable come out as compared to, like, this came out in 2011. Catherine did. So do either mm-hmm. of you know when
2: uh, P3P released? I'm just curious how long they've been sitting on this character for. Came out in 2009 in Japan. Okay. So um, I, it was definitely before Catherine, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely that's, during yeah, its development. Cool.
0: So it does kind of link the Persona and the Catherine universes in a way. Uh, a lot of similar themes, like the things that happen in this game, even the supernatural stuff, definitely could exist in the Persona universe. Like it all kind of mm-hmm. works together, and it has a very similar feel to it. Um, you know, these supernatural entities that visit people in their sleep. And yeah, it, it plays nicely.
2: Uh, I, I think it makes sense that uh, of the two Persona games that I'm familiar with, that it is Persona free that yeah, yeah. Uh, Catherine gets connected to mm. because both games have you ascending a never-ending tower that <laughs> uh, feels like it's never ever going to stop um and um yeah i, I just that both of them have this um relationship between uh night and day and and there being a difference between what mm. you're doing mechanically during the day and mm. during the night mm. i do think those two games actually ha- share a lot of dna yeah um yeah, so it is cool to have those two games connected to each other. Uh, in in one
1: of the new trailers for Persona 5, there's a character that looks something somewhat like Vincent. Um, I remember seeing people talking about that, but I wonder if there'll be mm. any kind of tie-in. That'd be interesting.
0: interesting. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. I was really hoping that somebody from the Catherine cast would have made it into the uh, Persona 4 Arena Ultimix that they put out afterwards mm. because you know i i just i want to see these two universes come together and i want to see <laughs> these uh the characters from this game come back because i think that there is some great designs and a lot of potential they're mm-hmm. going to kind of take this
1: further oh that that reminds me uh, uh in the stray sheep on the on the actual bar in front of boss there's a little uh teddy figure from persona 4 i don't know if you've ever thought oh. that <laughs> yeah he's like right at the very end of the bar that's fun it's cute
0: uh, there is a steam game that i believe is still in early access or maybe it's just not out yet but it's called all my tree the last dreamer. that is like almighty but with <laughs> the word tree like the plant swapped in at the end there um and so if you like that kind of block climbing puzzle then check that one out because it exists all right let's go over to our community where we can hear from uh, what some of our lovely community members have posted about Catherine at com slash forum, or you can always email in to podcast at canonrince.com if you have something to say about an upcoming game. All right. Uh, Gallo Pinto says, Catherine is my least favorite video game of all time. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but while there are some games that I don't like, Catherine is the only game in my video gaming life that I've actively hated. I played it for the first time last year and I was actually really excited to play it. I read the reviews at launch about its fascinating mature take on a subject matter rarely discussed in games. I played Persona 4 Golden and it ended up being my favorite game of the last 15 years. When I found out that Catherine was made by the same team, I decided I had to play the game and what a disappointment it ended up being. The game is extremely difficult, but I didn't find its type of difficulty fun or rewarding in any way. The puzzles themselves aren't that hard, but you are put in an extremely strict time limit, where you'll fall to your death if you don't immediately figure out which blocks to push. While I thought the idea of bosses in a puzzle game was cool, and their designs were pretty interesting and twisted, actually playing them was horrendously frustrating. You could be solving the puzzle and quickly and efficiently and then BAM, you're cut in half by a chainsaw-wielding baby sent back to repeat the last three stages and question why you are playing this game. I think that whether or not the story connects with you is a very subjective thing, and I know a lot of people have had a very powerful response to Vincent's predicament. I don't get that at all though. I thought Vincent was obnoxious, weak, and childish. I had trouble feeling invested in a story knowing that having one conversation with either girl could solve his problems. I tried to get Vincent to stop seeing Catherine, with a C, (laughs) including sending her messages telling her to stop texting me, and then in the next cutscene it would feature them both flirting. The only thing the choice system added to the story was dissonance. The endings of the game heavily incentivize you to fully commit to either a full chaos or full order playthrough, because that's how you get the true endings. But it's when you fully commit that the story makes the least sense. When you're committing to one true ending or the other, you spend the whole game being nice to one girl and mean to the other, but then the cutscenes all show Vincent being conflicted and unable to decide, which just made me stop caring about the story. I did think that the soundtrack was pretty good, the alcohol trivia was funny and I overall enjoyed the scenes in the stray sheep bar, but hearing the game over theme followed by Vincent yelling, Catherine! Has been seared into my brain as the most unpleasant memory in my gaming life. I'd recommend a hard pass on this one. Todinho says, It immediately caught my interest. It was such a weird concept being done by a AAA game that I just had to check it out. Cemented by the fact that I had just played Persona 3 and this was made by the same team, I remember booting up the game and being greeted by a pink background with a sheep falling to his death, revealing a pillar where the main character Vincent was tied up, screaming, Catherine! At that moment, I knew that I made the right decision in buying the game. One thing that took me by surprise was realizing that it was mostly a puzzle game about climbing blocks. This could have been a deal breaker if I didn't like them, but for me the puzzles are one of the main reasons I love the game. At first the levels were really intimidating, but the game does a good job teaching the player all the techniques required to climb efficiently. The addition of the undo buttons and checkpoints help the player start thinking with blocks so they can overcome the levels. And while Catherine is a challenging game throughout, by the end I felt like a block climbing master despite almost never getting a gold rank. Another aspect that made these levels really enjoyable was how exciting and tense they were. Puzzle games tend to be slow, methodical affairs, but not Catherine. Here you're always racing against the clock trying to come up with solutions quickly before before falling to your death. Lastly, these levels have a brilliant touch in adding the scoring system similar to character action games. The game constantly gives you positive feedback so you want to keep a climbing streak going and get a high score at the end. This doesn't just make the levels more replayable, but it also makes watching someone do a perfect run really interesting, in the same way that watching somebody in Bayonetta get a perfect platinum in a really hard fight. While I was expecting to like Catherine, I didn't know just how much I would actually enjoy it. This was a game that put a smile on my face from start to finish. It's an excellent post by Todino. I... I I did actually kind of forget about that title screen with the the pink background and the uh, Vincent on the pillar, but that is a a striking opening image and and a really great upfront introduction to how stylish the game would become. Thanks for pointing that out, Todinho. Toki says, This was a most curious game, mainly for its weird and risque storytelling. Seemingly one of those idiosyncratic Japanese stories, but I'm guessing it was quite a heavily tailored for a Western audience relative to the hundreds of games that don't make it over to our shores. It's an okay, relatively entertaining 3D pu- puzzler that for some reason reminds me of Kula World on the PlayStation 1, but I think it's difficult to argue that its strong appeal comes from the gameplay rather than the interactive cafe sections, character development, moral dilemmas, and mid-level sheepish banter. If cinema gets to celebrate the cerebrally weird and wonderful films almost as a sub-genre, Think David Lynch and Cronenberg, and why can't games? I would recommend Catherine to anyone who wanted something challenging, unsettling, and quite set apart from other games. Alex79UK? I've Catherine a few years back when it was free on PlayStation Plus. I certainly enjoyed the time I spent with it. The actual gameplay itself was a lot of fun. At first. Although it did get to the point where it started to wear a bit thin and I had to knock the difficulty down to easy. With enough perseverance I could have made it through the game, but I got so far and decided I just wanted to see the story through and actually activated a special cheat mode enabled on ultra easy mode in the end, which just keeps dropping loads of jump 3 lines power-ups, making the rest of the game a breeze. What kept me playing was the bizarre story. Never have a bunch of more unlikable characters appeared in a video game together. So utterly self-absorbed, I related to them well. The main guy came across as a completely pathetic slime bag, and his friends were a proper bunch of simpling jerks. The only character I really liked was the barman. I thought it was a nice touch when he had to answer the questions, and then found out how other people had voted. An even better and potentially more revealing feature might have been to see how individual people on your friends list had voted. A feature that could have potentially caused plenty of real-life debate, I'm sure. I wonder if that would tailor how people answer the questions you know i don't know if i'd want everybody knowing uh you know some of those details about me but uh it's a it's a neat suggestion i like that doc funky in addition to being one of my absolute favorite games of the ps3 360 era i'll always remember catherine for being one of the few games in recent memory that i've been able to share so completely with one of my best friends we both picked it up on launch day or at least close to it and since we worked together, we could play the game separately each night and share our experiences with each other in the morning. He and I would share theories about the story, hints and tips for shifting blocks and making pathways, the choices we made, and the confessionals, and the fun alcohol facts that we learned from drinking the stray sheep each night. Once both of us had completed the game, we even started to meet up at his house to drink a few beers, perfect our gold statue runs, and ultimately tackle the babble stages as well. We don't often share the same level of passion for the same game, so Catherine was something really special in that department. While I do wish that your choices had more immediate effect on the story, as Vincent will end up fooling around with Catherine the Sea for a while no matter what you do, the world this game created was so entertaining and engrossing that I can't look back on it with anything but positive memories. If you like puzzle games and are old enough to think seriously about the kinds of themes this game deals with, you owe it to yourself to play Catherine. And wrapping it up is Indiana 747. To be straight, this isn't my cup of tea at all. I wanted to like it, but I eventually came undone in the nightmare levels. Even on easy, I felt that these were annoyingly harsh, especially the final stage of each night where you had been chased by a demon. I tapped out at night four or five. My skill level at this sort of game was only moderate to say the least, so I was always going to be surprised if I managed to finish the game. When I did feel I had the better of a section, I would end up getting punked by a rather dodgy control system dodgy in the instance of when Vincent dropped to the far side of a block and the controls for him flipped to left and right got swapped the most inopportune moments, leading to time wasted, hence leading to a frustrating death. This coupled with the inability to rotate the camera around really bugged me when that happened. The cutscenes had adult issues, but seemed to be tackled by Vincent or the game itself in an absurdly juvenile manner. Thank you for those, that's a nice divide of opinions. I think that represents the general consensus quite well. All right, let's move on to some decidedly shorter three-word reviews. We tweet out from our uh, Twitter, at CanaanRince, the day of recording, to get some three-word reviews. And of course, if you have any three, three-word reviews, it's kind of difficult to say. For upcoming games, feel free to tweet them out as early or as, well, not late, I suppose, but as early as you want them to be. And we will do our best to read them on the show. Thank you for those who have submitted. All right, starting off
1: from Gallo Pinto. Opposite of fun. Todinho says cocktail trivia heaven.
2: Alex79UK says blocky adulterous nightmare.
1: Doc Funky, sheep juice factory. Global Mega Dude says funny
2: dark bunkers. Morbid Beard says quirky yet polarizing.
0: Jesse Fuchs, wake up sheeple. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tom Hewlett from Silent Hill series says... Secretly mature themes.
2: Ideology light says insurmountable block puzzles.
0: Big man Finelli, PlayStation personality
1: test. (laughs) And Kazimad says arse tongue monster.
0: Of course.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, I guess all
0: that's left at this point is just to give our summaries of the game and whether or not we'd recommend people climb the tower for themselves. Uh, I guess i say, first off, I um, I mean, as we've said multiple times throughout, this is a game that is very strictly bisected into two pieces, the story and the gameplay. And, um, you know, like I said on the uh, Brutal Legend show back many, many issues ago, that that was a game that I felt very strongly divided about, that I, I loved a lot of the things that I was doing. And just really didn't connect with a lot of the other things and i kind of have a lot of the same feelings about Catherine. um i think the things it does well it does better than i've ever seen them done in the game before and a lot of the things that well the block climbing puzzles i didn't enjoy and um it kind of makes me want a sequel to this game to be more like a telltale adventure game where I can just play through the story and, you know, not really play from, uh, play through puzzle elements that I felt kind of detracted from the experience overall. And it would kind of keep me from recommending it to gamers who aren't really just, you know, top-notch puzzle solvers, because it is ultimately like a pretty substantial showstopper if you're not able to Mm -hmm. surpass some of those climbing challenges and there are easier difficulty modes to uh, kind of mitigate that but um you know even on the easiest difficulty mode it's not a cakewalk um so you know whether it's worth it is really up to you the individual um i think that i i think that i gained a lot from having played this game, and it's one that has consistently stuck with me, and I'm glad that it's a part of my kind of gaming lexicon. But um, ultimately, there is a pretty substantial gatekeeper on this one, and mm-hmm. you you may or may not end up uh, getting as far and seeing as much of the story as you would like. So I'm going to take with caution. What about you, Sean?
1: Okay. Uh, feel like in a similar boat to you i I, it's really hard to just put out like a blanket recommendation for catherine because um there's so much about it it's gameplay that will turn off i think a fair amount of uh players out there um as you said the block climbing i actually really enjoy the block climbing but i totally wouldn't put it past anybody to uh like almost quit halfway through if they're if they're struggling with that kind of puzzle gameplay um and that maybe has to do with that I don't play puzzle games that often, so this kind of puzzle just really appealed to me at the time. Um, but going back and playing it again, I still had fun with it, even though it's uh, it has some pretty significant flaws. Um, but the story ultimately is what uh, stuck with me, and as absurd as it gets, um, it still touches on a lot of really cool, uh, cool social elements that I think... Um, lots of games are afraid to talk about and it doesn't get them all right but the ones that related to me that or that i was able to relate to were uh pretty impactful for me at the time especially at the time that i first played it um because i think these the stuff that comes up in catherine uh comes up for a lot of people not for everybody but um for a lot of people who are in relationships and uh i think it it, even though it's it's presented to you from a male perspective i think even women can get into it as well like my fiance plays it uh, a couple times a year herself and she finds stuff in there that she can really relate to as well and well, it's hard to put a recommendation on it or not because i think anyone can get something out of this game but i know i wouldn't blame people for not uh finishing it i guess if they're if they're struggling with the puzzle stuff but i think it's worth at least giving it a shot because um, you might find something in there that you really uh dig and you might relate to so
0: Thank you, and what about you josh
2: i I feel very similar to you two in that i I did end up being very impressed with the narrative side of the game and i I did get some enjoyment out of the block uh block puzzles, but most of the time it felt like that um that gameplay just Wasn't suited to the experience that Catherine was trying to be, and I think there is an alternate universe somewhere (laughs) where Catherine was. This story was paired with (laughs) gameplay systems and gameplay mechanics that better reinforced the themes and and uh, ideas that were going on in the narrative. As it is, I, I think this is one of the most memorable games I've played. It's not one of my favourites. I think there are things about it that I love, but I can't say that I love it as a whole experience because there were those moments that just frustrated me to no end. But, yeah, that I, I think if you're curious to check out an and an experience that explores very intimate themes that um not it's not that games don't explore these themes it's more that they don't have the confidence to commit all the way Mm. and really focus on these themes um and really give them some breathing room um to be explored properly um yeah and i i think there's there's really not much else out there like it. Mm-hmm. Even the Persona series, which we've compared it to a lot, I think Persona feels remarkably more traditional in its ambitions um compared to this like i think this is much more ambitious i think ultimately um their previous work on persona 3 and 4 is uh substantially more successful Mm. uh in terms of getting me to really care about um the interactivity and and the storytelling um but yeah I, i i don't think i'll be forgetting this game anytime soon all right, um, and
0: then, of course, we should mention that if anyone is just curious enough but not curious enough to actually play it, the uh, game has been, or at least the cutscenes from the game have been edited together as a movie or uh, at least a two-hour run of cutscenes on YouTube, so you can check that out. Although I do think that that kind of takes away some of the interesting... Um, I, I did think that those moments where you have to make those choices and ask those questions of you kind of add a lot to it so yeah i mean if you're going to play it then i'd recommend doing it properly but you no, know, there are concessions that can be made mm. uh now right, just leaves it to me ryan to thank josh and sean for coming on and being such wonderful panelists on, on this show next time in issue 211 canaan rinse goes to hell as we examine the influential proto shooters doom and doom 2 thank you very much and we'll see you next time